Right, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here. Me, Master Flex himself, Trunk, Fan, and we have Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value. I don't know why I just paused it. I was going to say your full Twitter handle for some reason. I was going to say Trunk T Fan, but we've got Trunk Fan and we've got Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value. And as always, I'm Bilal Zaidi as well. Boys, we've got a packed agenda today. We've got some killer, killer topics, but we're always going to start off with Meme in the Week. And uh, Trung is going to be our meme master today. So uh, over to Thank you, you meme, boys. meme God. Okay, so for the record, uh, I don't want people saying, oh, Trung's always memeing himself. This is not me memeing myself. This is our old friend, Alex Cohen. Uh, he's roasted me yesterday on Twitter. So for uh, the listeners, uh, not the viewers here, uh, your boy Trung Fan uh, created a cohort course with Maven. Uh, the cohort course startup, which, uh, full disclosure, Jack Busher is an investor in. Jack, is this correct? That's correct. <laughs> That's the All pump right. back segment coming later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so people, we have something called the pump, the bag pump of the week that we're introducing this week. We're just going to combine it with meme of the week. So I, I made the announcement yesterday on Twitter. I wrote, uh, you know, I get asked all the time about how to research, write, and publish my ideas. So I created this course with Maven. It's called, I think the name is pretty glorious. It's the Better Business Writing Bureau. The plane, the plan is that I want the Better Business Bureau to actually sue me and tell me to not use their name, and then they'll create the buzz. But uh, I'm such small potatoes that it probably won't even happen. But our friend Alex Cohen quote cheated my tweet and goes, we've lost a fellowship poster to the course selling mafia. And here's where it's hilarious. Uh, how many likes does he have here? <laughs> I think he that's had, called a ratio. I think yeah, that's what the kids call it. He yeah. had 873 likes on his quote tweet, and I had 259 likes on my tweet. Oh, my goodness. Now you know how uh, Parag Agawal feels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Parag's getting roasted by Elon uh, on his uh, Twitter bot thing. We're not going to talk about it today. We've, we've over-talked about Elon. But um, the last thing I'll say, because it is uh, we're combining bank pump of the week, is... Go to maven.com slash trunk slash BBWB if you guys want to stick it to Alex Cohen. We'll, li we'll link it in the, in the show notes, mate. All good. Yeah, so yeah. I was going to say the reason it was funny for me as well because uh, I saw it like because I'm in London. I saw it a few hours later and uh, someone had clipped uh, the conversation us three had when, when Jack was out <laughs> and Alex Cohen was making jokes about people doing courses and it was like a one-minute clip. It was pretty good. Well, I, I, can, I can paraphrase it. I asked him directly. He's like, what's wrong with people that do these threads? He's like, well, you know, I'm a shit poster and I do it from a place of authenticity, which I agree with. He does. So do I. But he goes, a lot of people are doing it just to grow the audience, just to eventually show a effing course is what he said. Jack, how'd you feel? You sold a few courses in your time, mate. Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, there's an obvious, uh, there's an obvious amount of turd in that market just because <laughs> of the barrier. The barrier to entry <laughs> is very low, right? With everything else, this is like the, the last cycle's shitcoin behavior and it's like if you can, if anyone can make it you better believe 90 percent of the stuff is going to zero and is a waste of your time and money but not these two on the core right here i i mean i haven't taken trunks one but i've taken jacks and i know trunk enough to to know it will be a banger i'm sure um yeah right, I think trunk, that, uh, we're gonna need an update in a few you. weeks go on sorry to interrupt you but i was gonna say like i think it is an unfortunate 
connotation because someone like Trung has an obviously very strong skill set and people could learn a lot from him and to be bundled in with people who are not doing that, that have the background or there's like, you know, if you compare that to another institution that you would have to pay to get that knowledge, mainstream institution, you're talking about a 10, 20, 30, 40 X investment over a lot longer period of time. So, uh, not all education is bad. That's what I would say. And I think it's a dangerous, like slippery slope to just imagine that everybody that's trying to build an education business is trying to rip people off. That's not accurate. Yeah, of course. Also, well, let, I me, remember... let me add, go on, go on, Sorry, but I want to add one point to Jack's thing. He's like, that is so true though. Cause there's that gut feeling of doing it. Right. I mean, Jack, you've been doing it so long. You have such a well-established reputation, but if, if I'm being fully frank is like, that was mentally the biggest hurdles because you know it's like if now if I launch an NFT project everybody would just think this guy is trying to grab a bag right and it's going to go as such as useless announcement and I I'm joking I'm joking well, here's the reality I probably wouldn't even be able to get it off the ground uh, because it, yeah it, maybe a year and a half ago but uh, dude yeah I, I, I agree fully with that statement it's such a broad brush and listen I paid overpaid to this multiples you said 30-40 times for not good education, right? Yeah, like, straight yeah. up. They have a master's degree. Not worth it. Full, and a CFA. And a CFA. Yeah. Wow, that rolls us perfectly into the next topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I will bring a, a bonus. Well, first of all, check out Trunk's course if you're interested. Secondly, I'm going to pull up a bonus meme of the week. Let me bring this up here. This was the conversation around the New York Times post. So I'm going to pull up a tweet here. Can you guys see that? Yeah. Oh, man. Dare goes so hard, dude. So if, if people haven't been following this, let me get those DMs out of there. Um, so we've got... Uh, I'm, should, should we just read out the passage real quick? I mean... Yeah, read read the one that... The, the, the first... Read the first paragraph. What the he said? Sentence. Oh, okay. No, what, New York paragraph. Times? Yeah. Yeah, so here we go. So there was... A, the background really quickly is there was a post... Uh, there was a an article in New York Times written by, I think, a PhD in economics. From and Harvard. Were, from Harvard. Yeah. And there was a bunch of stuff in there. He was so surprised about how people become wealthy, essentially. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the study didn't tell us about the small number of well-known tech and shopping billionaires, but instead about the more than 140,000 Americans who earn more than $1.58 million per year. The researchers found that a typical rich American is, in their words, the owner of a regional business such as an auto dealer or a beverage distributor. And then the next one is, he says, this shocked me over the past four years in the course of doing research for a book about how insights buried in big data sets can help people make decisions. I read thousands of academic studies. Anyway, he goes on to say- No, wait, wait hold on. He goes, go it on. is rare. I read a sentence that changes how I view yeah. the world. <laughs> that was the one, exactly. Which So that, that was kind of meme of the week. And then the, the guy, Dave, over here basically said, the New York Times really published an article where the author was stunned that the typical rich person is someone who owns a business, not someone who earns a paycheck. This is like an ad for how disconnected their takes are from common sense or reality. So obviously, you know, this isn't a meme with, you know, text and images, but we've talked about memes a lot on the show. And this is as much of a meme as anything else. Uh, so yeah, boys, I think one of you shared it. Maybe Jack shared it in the, the group chat. Or maybe we all, I feel like we all shared it at different times because we saw it and we were like, what the hell is going on here? So Jack, tell us about your take on this because you're obviously a business owner and you've gone through 
um, you know, many phases of of this kind of development. You might even have hit that level they were talking about. I'm not sure Dude, the exact uh, numbers. Imagine but- if that PhD economist from Harvard found out how Jack bought his house. <laughs> <laughs> so he sold three bored apes and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, no, so go. Bilal, do the, get the screen share again because the last paragraph is the best. Is the best. All part. right, let's pull this up here. The so last, the last paragraph, paragraph says. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Go what on. are the lessons for the, from the data on rich earners? First, rich people own. Among members of the top 0.1%, the researchers found about three times as many make the majority of their income from owning a business as from being paid a wage. Salaries don't make people rich nearly as often as equity does. And that was the like. When I read that sentence, it's like how can you write that? Like, how can, <laughs> what, what is your concept of what a salary is or where it comes from? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so your assumption is that there is this, like, there are businesses that pay out more salaries than they do increase in value. It's like, that just doesn't make any, there's no logical universe where you can make sense of that statement. So then I, you know, the caption written to a company on Twitter was perfect. It was like, this is just an ad for how disconnected. And I don't think, you know, you could say it's like the New York times, but it's obviously um, a school of thought that is not one person's like not one person's view. It's just a complete misunderstanding of like how value is created. And it's a huge problem because it's like, I don't think you can make good decisions if you don't understand how the world operates that way or how money moves around or how value is created and and to like take issue with how much people are getting paid and make suggestions about how to fix it without understanding the source of funds is just completely moronic it's like you it's like completely nuts like you're 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 presumably like writing papers and giving advice and making assertions like this is how we should fix X, Y, and Z, but you have no understanding of the underlying fundamentals of the situation. It's right. very they're bizarre. Giving, they're giving like this individual and probably his colleagues are giving advice to government bodies on how to spend tax right. expenditures, for example, right? <laughs> and how that. to set tax policy. You're right. It is. Ins- so I'm not going to call the author out by name, but I did do a little bit more uh, snooping and, uh, so he tweeted something out, and uh, in the tweet he says, you know, for all the people kind of making fun of, I'm paraphrasing it, for all the people making fun of my take in this article, he says, listen, that just kind of proves the article's point, is like, data can change how you look at the world. I'm like, ah, that's a bit of a stretch. But then he goes and finishes, this was the kicker. Where I grew up, rich people were athletes, movie stars, and like actors. I'm like, bro, where did you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> Not Were you in Hollywood up. or what? Say that again. Bro, Actors, literally. movie stars, and, and what? And athletes. There's only a couple places, right? Yeah, yeah, dude, bro, literally, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Brentwood, California? Yeah. Like, yeah. this is yeah. where. Did you grow up with a film? I mean, literally, right? Did you grow that up with the Kardashians? Sometimes you're yeah. all three of those things, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes you're all. Yeah. Uh, anyways. No, it's staggering. Think, it's staggering. Yeah. It's like truly it's bizarre. Crazy. And to. Obviously, like you're near the top of your field if you're if you have permission to like put your opinion out and broadcast it under Times. the banner of the New York Times. So you're not the only person that thinks this way. It's it's nuts, and I think it's just it's just so unfortunate that that like thinking is so pervasive and 
again, like when challenged, it's like, oh, I just thought athletes and movie stars were rich when I was growing up. Like, that's really how you're going to defend this. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> Yo, Jack, Jack is, is so pissed. Jack, Jack is, is fired up, son. Very I am pissed. I am pissed. But it's like, uh, it's also the, the shift in worldview you have when you're responsible for a PL. I think you, like, you can, yeah. I think Taleb's got some of the best writing on this. It's like, don't tell me what you think. Show me what's in your portfolio. Or like when you have a PNL to manage, your margin for bullshit shrinks massively, right? You're not just being paid to show up or like type words or, yeah. you know, like here's your contract for X number of years. And I think, I don't know, I can't say any this with any certainty, but in like education, my like understanding of how tenure works is like you're locked in for a certain amount of oh, time. Yeah. Your salary is coming. Do whatever coming. you want. Do whatever you're good. you want. So you can spout yeah. anything for decades and you're good. So I think a lot of that does come down to like how people feel or how they think the world works or what they thought, what they saw when they were eight years old or whatever the like extrapolation is in this case. And you're like charging people hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring the point back to uh, the, what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode was like, you could go and find somebody on the internet that's built a million dollar business and pay them a couple hundred bucks to learn how they built it. Or you can go to Harvard and spend 200 grand to have a professional of economics that doesn't know that value is created by inventing things, making things, distributing things. Jack I'm is honestly lost for words. I'm lost Jack, for words. No. Wait, wait. That shake, the head shake was so good. It was a. I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. It's like, yeah. I mean, I, I will say we're in a collective go on, go on. hallucination, thinking that like like worshiping those, like that school of thought is just wrong, like completely backwards and incorrect, bizarre. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, even if you don't pay, I mean, literally. The way we all met is through, I had a podcast. I interviewed a lot of those people, including Jack. We talk about for free exactly what he did to make over a million a year in his business, right? And it's like you get, that's exactly why I love doing that sort of stuff. It's just you get to actually learn the ins and outs of what people are actually doing today, not just the academics stuff in a book. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, look, there's a place for certain types of academics, obviously. Uh, but like when it comes to money specifically, um, yeah, it's just something you can't necessarily just learn in a book that was made 10. Like the syllabus was from 15 years ago. Right. took five years to actually get printed. And by the time, like all the stuff I learned at university is mostly obsolete apart from like three, four big principles and learning how to use JSTOR, like the academic journal site or whatever. You know what I mean? So <laughs> anyway, so that was the rant of the week and uh, definitely a good comment. Anything else, uh, Trung or Jack? On that before we move on? Um, I'm so happy. I was a little bit like, oh, do we really need to do this? And then after seeing Jack, let's go absolutely <laughs> just Terminator on the topic. I'm like, yo, what What else? Can, wait, Bilal, what other academic study can we put in front of Jack next week that will just <laughs> get the head shake? We got to get that guy as a guest, man. Here is side. And, yeah, uh, let, yeah, yeah. let Jack go red pill. I'm sure he's a you nice bloke. No, no hard feelings. We, yeah, no hard feelings. You know what? We 100%. I, so my last thought is this, and let me add this as somebody that writes for a, a large financial institution that does not control the headline or the social tweet. We talked about this before, right, with Bloomberg and the can of 
the bean. What was it? Uh, what kind of beans was it? Lentils. Yeah, dude, you don't control the mess. I mean, here's the thing. Like the the article. Actually, you know what? I take everything I said back, and I'll tell you why. The problem with that article was in the body of the article. Right? But you were saying normally it's the headline, but in this yeah, case, you're like, no, yeah, actually, the body had some issues. It's usually the headline and the, the, the headline in the tweet, right? The reality is that 99% of people will only see the headline and the tweet. And, uh, well, let's take the perfect example. The recent article about Elon Musk uh, as childhood in South Africa that New York Times published. So the article basically said in a number of instances, Elon Musk was not a racist. His father was in an anti-apartheid political party. Elon left South Africa because he didn't want to be conscripted by the racist army. Elon stood up for his friends in high school that were, that were uh, black and he got beat up for it. So the article that was in the body of the article, what did the tweet in the headline say? Effectively, Elon Musk is a racist because he grew up in apartheid South Africa. And then uh, that would be the opposite of this situation where everything is like Dare posted it, right? He just took this long. Think about that. He took a long piece of writing this long. We all are on Twitter. Nobody reads that. People started reading it and that thing goes viral. They're like, this is insane. I struggled to read it just now on this podcast. I started sounding like Floyd Mayweather. Sorry, sorry. We should actually, it would be funny to, I mean, not funny, but like I would. Let the, let the man explain himself. So it is a man, and uh, maybe he's listening. If you are, message us. Uh, yeah, uh, Mr. I will say, I, I didn't see it properly, but I'm pretty sure he posted a few tweets. So I was like, oh, fair enough. Like, he's trying to show, like, well, I mean, what Jack mentioned before, he kind of was using an excuse, but there were a few things where he was kind of accepting how ridiculous it was that he's got a PhD in economics. Um, but fair yeah, play I mean, yeah, fair play, exactly. Um, anyway, um, go on, go on, Jack. Also, like, it's not like... There are le- there are levels of approval. I'm assuming in that going out. That's a like, good point. Not the, but he wrote it. It probably went through editor. Uh, oh, that looks good. Another editor. Oh, great. Yeah, excellent. Bang that. Put that on the top. Put that on the front page, guys. We're stand behind that. <laughs> Yo, how lit is Jack? Yo, Jack. This is Jack. Episode fifty five, man. I have never seen you get so lit about something before. I just think the ramifications of. And I mean, it's it's also encouraging that it got that the response was so like visceral too, right? Because yeah. obviously, like it hit a nerve with enough people that we're we're talking about it. So maybe it isn't a like when this when these theories make contact with reality. In a lot of cases, it's like, oh yeah, it's clearly wrong. But the problem is how far it circulates in a closed yeah. system, and how many people believe it, and how many people go out into the world and can't make an economic impact because they've been told the only way to make money is to be a fucking basketball player or a movie star, or it's like probably not going to happen for you guys owning a de- owning an auto dealership or like, you know, selling tiles or something or building or some like a regional- beverage distributor. Guess what? Right. I make know some beverage realistic. distributors. They rich. <laughs> Mate, there's guys around here cutting grass and own, you know, a few, trucks and like have got the most sophisticated advertising operation I've ever seen for a grass cutting business around here. They are probably, you know, doing all right for themselves. It's just a, it's just a really interesting divide, right? And like we're the academic lens on value creation is so different than, well, not even value creation. It's just like money. 
Like obviously, yeah, because uh, you could argue there's obviously other ways to make to create value in society beyond money. Though money is obviously a direct. People only transact if they are gaining gaining value in something. Uh, but at the same time, I completely agree. Like speaking to other people, especially honestly, academics. I have a few friends who have gone down that route, and sometimes like it's such a struggle to to talk about it because they they value all the things I don't value. Right. And like, it's all about, you know, I'm obviously generalizing, but the credential, the tenure, whereas for me, my background has always been, you're telling me I'm going to take 10 years to do something. I might figure out a way to do it too. And I'm still right. going to do all the work and everything, but maybe the 80, 20 of this is I didn't need to do all these other steps because, because you did, you had to go get people coffee and therefore you're going to make me do that for three years. Maybe there's a better way to do it. So I, I think like the very conventional way of thinking about it, the, 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 the kind of like takeaway I got was that one line, first, rich people own. Like, again, we've talked about this many times. You referenced Taleb there, uh, skin in the game, basically, right? That is the kind of macro point. The micro point, though, for me was beyond, and this kind of made me think about it as well, was those examples, beverage distributor, auto dealer. Yeah, it, honestly speaking, when I think of someone who makes a million a year, I don't think of that either. Though I know those people no, do make I money. Think, uh, you know what? I think of, uh, to your point, you're right. The first thing that obviously comes to mind. Okay, let's give this guy a little bit of credit. Yeah, if you ask me what's rich, I'm like, yeah, probably actors, movie stars, uh, Silicon Valley execs, right? I get that. But as we were talking about, I also know these other classes of individuals. Like, I know the dude that makes seven figures as a, like, he does, he ships lumber around the city, right? Not our lumber trading, but literally just like lumber as a developer, a real estate developer, right? Uh, so I actually wanted to pull up the exact headline. So is uh, how egregious is it actually? Here it is, boys. This is the actual headline. Do you want to read it out? I can't see. Yeah. The rich are not who we think they are. So that's the first part. Mm, you know, that that that's a good headline, but that makes you want to read it. But the body of the text, much like the Elon one, does not support it. But it's not as agreed to the Elon one was literally just race baiting. Uh, but then the other part of the intro goes, or the, uh, the headline goes, and happiness is not what we think either. But here's the thing. So he does a whole part about happiness where um, uh, there's a study, the famous study where like your happiness levels at 75,000 and it doesn't really increase from there. So the diminishing not, returns yeah, of happiness. That's not yeah. really that true. It's, like, it it's also a very broad statement because 75K <laughs> in New York is very different to 75K in Alabama or Malawi. Yeah, so, you know what I mean? So, so my, here, let me just wrap it up. I'll say this. The entire time that we were talking, I'm like, oh, how are we going to put this into a, a thumbnail or headline? But we should just call the section NYT headlines. People will want to read that and listen to that because yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. ultimately <laughs> this is. I also think like the last closing point is the like credentials don't rid you of your bias and everyone is biased in one way shape or form regardless of whether or not they care to admit it or are ever like challenged to admit it and this person has like run into an instance where their bias has been like publicly called out but we're all guilty of it to some degree um yeah it's uh like writing an article is not a, uh, there's plenty of stuff that goes out that's like not irrefutable. You know, 99% of things are opinions or poorly worded versions of the truth. Uh, 
so yeah, it's just, it's fascinating to see. I think weirdly, like we're in this, this, uh, I think with all the Elon news and everything else happening, and I think culture in general, the last couple of years is way more interested in money, investing income. Like everybody's feeling like they have to go and do something, take like control of their future financially because of the, you know, the external forces that are at play or have been at play the last couple of years. So I think people are like tension is running high in that area in general. And um, maybe people are just examining it harder than they ever have before. And they're finding things that they would just like challenge their original assumptions in that world. And also Jack, to add to that, I think we're also in a world where on the flip side, there's like an anti-money you know, anti-billionaire sentiment, like yeah, the true, phrase billionaire true. should not exist sort of thing. Um, so yeah, anyway, we could talk for an hour about that. So let's move on to the next topic. But anything else before we close out? No, that was great. Good chat. Jack, All right. Wait, Jack, are you okay? Are you okay, dude? Yeah, you want to breathe there? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get a glass of water. Needs a glass of water. Let's give him a time Again, out. these are not personal attacks. I want to make that very clear. These yeah. are not personal attacks. It's it more was your like, feeling about the institution and this whole line of thinking. And, and it's just fascinating how different the world looks when you have a balance sheet and have to take risk by yourself. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but you shouldn't be making assertions that aren't true if you haven't been on the other side of that equation, you know? 100%. All right, boys, let's move on to the next topic here. Good, good chat. So edge of the internet, this is packed agenda today. We're going to be talking about follow-up to Terra and uh, Trung's going to talk about the dream of algorithmic stablecoins and how that's still a thing, even after the Terra uh, UST collapse. We'll, we'll dig into some stuff Vitalik's been talking about on some contradictions uh, that he kind of wrote out publicly, which we thought was really interesting. And A16Z, Andreessen Horowitz, the one of the top VCs in Silicon Valley, talked about the crypto price innovation cycle. We're going to talk about that. And then if we get to it, Jack is going to give us a little taster of a new NFT project he's really interested in sharing with us. Um, so, boys, let's kick it off with a Terra follow-up. I know since, uh, to, to put this in context, we recorded last Tuesday, um, basically Tuesday evening, Eastern time, by the time we finished. Uh, we put out in the next morning, Wednesday, and we even said in the episode... By the time you listen to this, Terra could go to zero. And pretty much that's kind of what happened. Um, even my girlfriend, I told her about Terra some time ago and she was she was like logged into Coinbase and she's like, oh, it's gone to zero. <laughs> I felt a bit bad. But, <laughs> but yeah, um, so that happened. Oh, you're, you're mute, Trunk. Yeah, mute, it's Trunk. Yeah, Trunk's gone. Wait, wait, you shilled Terra to your girl? I didn't shill. We talked oh. about it. We talked. <laughs> wait, wait, I didn't below. shill it, but... Not investment advice. 100%. 100% not investment advice. As we're talking about that, well, people, before I continue to grill Bilal, because he's not done yet, I want Bilal to continue to walk through what happened. First of all, we got up to number 36 in the investing category on Apple's- In the US, uh, in which the is US. big. No, it is big. It's kind of crazy because the investing category is very difficult to crack into. But we're also called not investment advice. I mean, what? the only conclusion, logical conclusion is this will be number one investing podcast in the world. It that has is, to, right? Has Dude, to be. Most entertaining outcome. Okay, so Bilal, you had mentioned it 
as pillow talk. Yeah, like, no, hey, no. <laughs> heard about... That's not pillow talk. <laughs> hey, I heard about Luna. You might want to check it out. <laughs> so she buys some Luna. No, okay, it was so, a small amount. Okay. But yeah, the, the context is, again, without disclosing all of her positions, but she's... <laughs> you know, she's a she's a business, but she's got her own business. She's working crazy. She's got money to invest, and she just asked me, "What do I do?" And I'm like, "Okay, th- this is my opinion. You follow what you want to do. Put this in your, you know, uh, Roth IRA or well, not Roth, but you know, SEP IRA, whatever. Invest in indexes. That's your safe money. Automate it. Dollar cost average. Don't think about it." And she's amazing at doing that. She doesn't overthink it. But then in crypto, she hears me in another room talking about it every week, right? So then she's talk- talk- she sees me walking around London right now with the Stepin app, where I'm like walk the walking Ponzi app, basically. Nice. And uh, so she's obviously interested as well, and she kind of you know believes in it enough to have invested a small amount. And yeah, so she was like, outside of Bitcoin Ethereum, what else is interesting that you think is worth doing? So I shared, you know, Solana back in the day, Terra. I was like, okay, this is interesting. I don't know if it's going to be go to zero, but this is the the risk you take. So uh, anyway, that's kind of it. That, that, I think those were the only four. Um, and then Belagos yeah. and uh, long story short, we're no longer together. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, uh, it was I'm definitely with you, man. a difficult with you, discussion, but no, no, she's, she's okay, completely so fine with it. Tara, she said, she uh, said, I got charged that to the game. I was very proud. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> okay, so blah. Uh, essentially, the the two tokens associated with the Tarot ecosystem, uh, Luna and, and the stable coin, uh, the algorithmic stable coin, uh, UST, uh, they both are effectively zero now. Uh, UST yeah. went from twenty billion to one billion, and Luna went from a peak of forty billion. To one billion, and even then, it's like whatever money's left in those systems is like, is it's who is, it's probably Dokkan holding. Right? Yeah, I don't know. The I think there's like um, what's going on now? There's uh, like a, a discussion happening publicly, like right. what should happen and how they're going to make good to certain people, and I haven't followed that fully, but. What was there anything else that happened? I mean, basically, well, it went Vitalik to zero. Well, talked about it. Vitalik said, uh, and I'm, this is his tweet. He says, uh, terror should focus on the poorest 99.6% of the wallets. Uh, so these are individuals with probably less than $1,000 uh, that they had put into it. And he's like, uh, the terror ecosystem and Do Kwan should pay these individuals out and like forget about the whales. I think the opposite ended up happening. Uh but uh, uh, some, another viral thing that went around yesterday was that Vitalik had more or less said, you know, the precedent for this is the FDIC, which is the uh, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation in the United States. They guarantee every bank account up to $250,000. We talked about it last week and how Yanis Antetokounmpo has uh, was 80, 82 <laughs> bank <yeah>. accounts. <laughs> 82 bank accounts. Smart. Um, but uh, yeah, so... That's where the situation is. It did go to zero, as you mentioned. Last week, we said this definitely could happen. Uh, it death spiraled to zero, effectively. A $60 billion wipeout. But actually, let me take that opportunity to talk about algorithmic stablecoins. Why, uh, you know, even after this wipeout, it's going to keep happening. So, before... This is the largest wipeout in dollar terms for an algorithmic stablecoin. The last really famous one was uh, Mark Cuban. Remember how Cuban was pumping... Iron Finance's Titan. Uh, Would you you guys remember that? Do you guys know the details about that? I think we covered it on the pod. You remember the meme with the the bike and the stick? And he's like, he's like, buy, uh, what was it? Buy Iron Finance, $19 trillion APY. And then he sticks the the stick in the front wheel. And then he says, we need regulation now. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, that's such a great that's such a great point because I want to bring it up because he also talked about regulation after terror. So the Algo stable coins keep coming up. Okay, so last week we briefly touched on it, but let me kind of lay out the field again. So this is the overarching thesis for the listeners and viewers. So I wrote an article for Bloomberg, and as we joke about in our group chats, no one that listens probably has a Bloomberg subscription or such a small percentage, so you probably didn't read it. So I'm going to talk through what the article talked about. But the headline, you, talk, what you, you guys want to talk about a nice headline here? It goes, the dream of an algorithmic stablecoin won't die. And here is why it's a dream. I spoke to John Wu of Aztec Network. Uh, I don't know if you guys, he's the one with the super viral thread when, it, when this thing popped off. There's the one you guys were sharing was from John Wu. Yeah. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a legend. So um, I spoke to him after his viral thread. Uh, Packy published something not boring that he wrote also, basically an expansion of that thread. But he was explaining to me why algorithmic stablecoins keep getting made. Uh, so uncollateralized sta- algorithmic stablecoins, which Bilal talked about last week, are like they're basically collateralized by the underlying token and some mechanism, uh, quote unquote, the algorithm, which will burn and mint coins to keep the uh, peg. Uh, whereas uh, Bilal talked about last week, something like Tether is backed by sec- treasury, securities, and money, right? So there are four ways that you can basically create a stable coin. You can do it with uh, Bilal alluded to, treasuries, uh, 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 fiat. You can do it with commodities. So you can do a gold back. So Tether has a gold back stable coin. You can do a crypto back stable coin. So Maker is crypto backed uh, with Ethereum. But what happened with Maker is that because Ethereum is so volatile, they over collateralize basically two to one. So it's not very capital efficient. That's the way that John explains it. He's like, well, Maker to mint a dollar of die, you need $2 of collateral. So it's not very uh, efficient, right? An algorithmic stablecoin with no collateral, uncollateralized, is very efficient. <laughs> you can mint a $20 billion stablecoin, essentially, uh, which is what uh, uh, UST ended up being. And uh, obviously, a big part of that attraction was a 20% APY that you could get by staking it. But his whole point is, these type of stablecoins are the holy grail of the crypto industry. Because they act as like uh, they act like fractional reserve banking in the real world. You know, you go to the bank; they can lend out nine times what they have in deposits. Like that's what the U.S. government lets them do. He says essentially that algorithmic stablecoins, uncollateralized, are kind of this dream. And in his perception, and I kind of agree with it, is like people will always try to make a better mousetrap like this, right? And there will always be a VC or an investor being like, oh. You're going to try to print money out of nothing? Yeah, sign me up. So uh, that was his explanation. So I asked you guys, how do you feel about that larger thesis where it is a, basically a greed argument? There will always well, be some party that will say they have a better mousetrap and people will fund it. Thoughts? Well, Trang, just before we say that, I was going to say my favorite reply to your article, I think when you published it, someone wrote, this sounds like US dollar. <laughs> like they read something about like uh, backed by nothing can print as much as you want, and they're like like the US dollar. Obviously, that's a you know you can. Argue well, the that US all dollar day. has the uh, 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 the Keita Breer tweet is something hilarious. He's like, 
this is why the U.S. dollar is valuable. And then he just had the aircraft carriers and the missiles. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, that was good. That was good. Yeah, I mean, it's only backed by the, the empire of the world and the number one military and the number one economy, of course. Violence, but, um, right? Completely. Yeah, that's the main thing. But yeah, tr Jack, anything from you, mate, on, uh, on that side? No, I think we covered most of it last week. It's Trung summed it up. It's like you're trying to... You're trying to break the laws of economics as we go back to our last part of the uh, Jack's still flying up. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> Jack's about to let loose. <laughs> I think this, I think the most frustrating part of it is this, like a incident of this size is going to bring so much criticism to the space. And many people who are trying to innovate responsibly will, you know, get caught up in, you know, or painted with the same brush as people that are clearly building things that are like very, very volatile and extremely risky versus like trying to add utility to a, uh, a system in an ethical way, which, you know, USDC, I think, um, you know, there are a couple of stable coins that are as stable as they could possibly be back to instruments that are recognized as stable in the fiat world. So I think, it's like the it's the the point of attack for the crypto ecosystem that I think yes. regulation will come after the hardest. And Trung, you've probably spoken to people about what that's going to look like too. But you can it's so obvious that that is like the most the attack vector for that is like these investors thought they had ten thousand dollars and now they've got zero. You know, it's not like you bought like ladder token and it's you know suddenly went drop 90 percent it's like yeah you knew what you were getting into on that one right but anything yeah, that's got usd in it and stable like the word stable yeah, it's a, yeah. well let's bring it up vitalik says uh, we showed it in tweet he said we shouldn't call these stable coins algorithmic stable coins should not be allowed to use that name mark right. cuban said the same thing i mean we joked about him getting burned on titan but he said about uh in the aftermath of terra he tweeted uh where I think regulation is absolutely needed. <laughs> I sorry, guys. I'm laughing. Thinking about that, uh, that, uh, that meme that Jack said. Uh, is absolutely needed stable coins. Uh, and he said algorithmically defined stable coins should, or tokens should not be stable coins. Last thought I'll have is John Wu, who I uh, interviewed for the article, made the viral thread. He says that the industry needs an internal norm of disclosures. Like people should be willing to accept that. Like, listen, it's not enough that you say, "Hey, trust us," and here's like a git that you can go read everything. It's like, just be crystal clear what is going on, right? And uh, I actually think that brings up. Uh, we mentioned it briefly. We actually didn't say it in the uh, intro. We uh, blah. I think we should just like make a thirty second proper intro. But Michael Saylor yeah, versus Raul Powell is um. Yeah, let's just explain what it was. We didn't yeah. explain it, but they those two had a conversation. What were they talking about? So Michael Saylor, obviously Bitcoin Maxi, uh, Raul Powell, uh, also a well-known macro investor, is deep into Ethereum. Is this correct? Yeah, I know his biggest position, but he's not. I wouldn't say he's like an ETH Maxi. He's kind yeah. of like a. That was the opportunity he saw, the biggest opportunity, and yeah. six months ago, anyway. I'm not sure about now. So where him and Saylor had this uh, conversation last month on Real Vision, uh, which is uh, Raul's uh, channel, was essentially around what all the levels of regulation you should have. So Michael Saylor's actually been on a bit of a 
well, he's been on a media tour for the last 18 months. But his recent one, including the Lex Friedman podcast, he did talk about uh, specifically why Lex asked him, why is it okay for you to talk a Bitcoin, right? Because he's critical of uh, uh, Ethereum boosters and other uh, token boosters. And Mike Michael Saylor's position was this. He's like, I don't actually control anything about Bitcoin, right? Like, like fundamentally. He's like, I can't issue more Bitcoin. I can't burn any supply of Bitcoin, quote unquote, like you would mint and burn uh, another type of token. So he's like, it's a property and that makes it ethical for me to talk about it. So that's his position. Whether or not I agree with it, that's his position. He says, however, it's pretty clear that most tokens, if you apply the Howey test, which is the 1950s SEC test to judge whether something's security, and basically, do you invest with an expectation of return? I think with most of these tokens, the answer is yes, right? Which makes it a security. And then he was telling Raul, he's like, this is the problem with these tokens that are securities, but don't have regula- regulation on them. He's like, guys like Doquan or anybody else, and they're, and he used the word compatriots, could just issue underused tokens. Underused word. That's an yeah, underused word, compatriots, man. Yeah. <laughs> and print, you know, tokens as they please. You know, they might say, hey, we have a certain protocol and these are the rules, but at the end of the day, they control it. And he's like, that's the difference with Bitcoin. I can't change the underlying. I'm like, that's a pretty valid argument, right? He's like, that's very different than if you had issued those tokens. And he always says, like, if I issued Michael coin, I could just give it to all my buddies and then keep printing more if I wanted to and then dump it onto retail. And I think Rao's point was like, oh, if you put too much regulation, you'll slow development. That was his point. But I think the terror thing is like, it's a gotcha, right? It's weighing back in a sailor's point. So happy on your guys' thought on, on why a sailor thinks it's ethical for him to talk about Bitcoin, if you agree with that. And just so I, to clarify what I heard, so if I understood this correctly, the summary was that because he can't personally, well, he's not the creator of Bitcoin and he's yeah. not someone who can personally impact things too much. Like the supply of Bitcoin the supply, or the mechanics exactly. of the uh, protocol. Therefore, it's decent and it's the most decentralized crypto. Um, is he's not going to have a tangible effect on it? Is that what you're saying? As like literally, he can't just snap his fingers and he decide can't manipulate to manipulate anything yeah, about the way it, right? the yeah. creator of, of like Terra he can could. pump it, he can pump it verbally, but he yeah. actually can't change the underlying of it, right? Mm. So, yeah, how do you completely. feel about that, Jack? Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I think, I think that as a blanket um like saying that that's the case in the case of every other crypto asset depending on the context is and is like is not true in a lot of cases right like yeah, an ethereum is still yeah yeah and ethereum is still that yes there are like there is an ethereum foundation that decides to like change the way ethereum functions but it does have to be adopted by the entire network in order to continue so i think the more established projects bitcoin obviously sits in a different category based on the fact it was kind of you know was it was created by somebody who disappeared but at the same time i think changing bitcoin is not that dissimilar from changing ethereum going forward right it still has to be a 51 percent of the network agreeing to run that version of the asset but I like I don't have a problem with anyone. I, 
well, like I think his his point about ethics is 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 bang on. It's like if you're purely like manufacturing a narrative to inc- like to exit an asset, that's very different than um, you know people who are just promoting or trying to change people. Yeah, trying it. to change something more fundamentally, like the you know. I think based on everything he said in public, it's like he's trying to get Bitcoin as an like corporate corporations to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheets. Like we need a new global system of accounting is very different than like put all your money in, you know, Shiba Inu dog coin. And then when it's, you know, in 20 days, we're going to exit out of that. So I think it's, it's like definitely more of a philosophical difference than a, uh, you know, uh, yeah, maybe it's just maybe it is just a and philosophical slash ethics. Maybe that falls in the same camp. But I do think people outside of the Ethereum ecosystem entirely don't give it a fair shake a lot of the time because you know of like you you tar all of the um, blow up outside events with the same brush when there are plenty of like yeah they just call them all altcoins basically right right yeah and I think. The interesting thing is, at least from my perspective, is the like Bitcoin has one feature and it does it really well, right? I think like these other assets are trying to accomplish different things. And I think the way in which you assemble people around that thing has to be a little different to accomplish that thing because we've acknowledged that this thing isn't finished and we want to improve it versus a Bitcoin where you know, the, all of the building for the most part is happening uh, on layer twos, lightning, wherever else. So I think, uh, I think it's interesting. I think he, like, I don't think he's necessarily arguing for them to not exist. It's more of a like, he wants regulation. He says, it. yeah, he wants disclosure because he keeps on bringing up. Uh, yeah. Let me add to that. You're hundred percent right. He's not saying they shouldn't exist. And his argument with Raul was like, I just think they should have disclosure. Like I run Michael strategy. Anytime, any material to change happens with the company. I found 8K, mm-hmm. right? And I have to do quarterly auditing. He's like, we're probably going to have to have that type of norm if, to your point, Jack, is like, these are unfinished products, right? People are developing things. So there are going to be material changes. It's like, if Zuck decides to make a material change at Facebook, he needs to file an 8K. None of these projects have this internal norm of disclosure and reg- uh, 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 of like, uh, yeah, disclosures and yeah, yeah. filings. And I think in a lot of cases, they don't even know what to disclose, right? A lot of the, like, it's so interesting, the ratio of people with an idea versus like people that are either trying to rebrand something or just market something differently. Like the stable coin is a meme, basically. It's like, can you get, which one can you attract the most capital to? And then it becomes more stable as a function of your ability to attract capital to it. But I think- um, yeah, I really don't understand enough to know how like a terror, like a, a, a coin that claims to be like stabilized through an algorithm, like versus like if everybody wanted to redeem all the money in the pool at the same time, if that money doesn't exist, then that is not a yeah. trustworthy asset, right? That's just a, a pretty simple. They need to stop calling a stable coin. Yeah, I, think that's I, I was going to say. I agree with that 100%. I think like the just, word stable is, it's just too, 
like it's a very specific thing you, it's in implicit in its name this isn't dropping 90 percent, which in, in this case it dropped a significant <laughs> amount right so uh and that, that was actually honestly the one that's sad i spoke to quite a few people in the last week and a half like since it's happened some people were really early in terror and they lost literally millions of dollars there were other people i know who are you know have a modest income and they got really interested in this stuff. They've gone down the rabbit hole, like basically similar to me. And they put a decent amount of money in their savings account equivalent, Anchor Protocol. And look, you know, when you do that, there's risk, right? Like, you, But at the same time, you know, it's, it was $15 billion or whatever it was uh, of uh, deposits. I can't remember the exact number. And the number of people that were involved with that, they were like very significant names. It wasn't just like complete random yeah. Joe Schmo in there. Um, Novogratz. He's got a tattoo. Exactly. <laughs> so, and it is a little sad because I don't, I'm actually meeting one of them tomorrow. Um, I'm Damn. curious to hear how it's gone, gone for him. Um, but yeah, it's just, a, again, all of us know going into this stuff, wherever you put your money in, you can expect it to go to zero. But when it happens, it still kind of hurts you know what i mean like in the last like we did a whole podcast on the bear market and the last three weeks have been absolute insanity right like it, for everyone i know we talked about philosophically focusing on building focusing on skills all those things which i 100 percent agree with but when you see you know to put it frankly like many years worth of savings essentially drop for me in, in particular that is a you know, that is a very I difficult agree, thing bro. to take, it's right? Tough. And I know I'm not the only person that's going through that. Pretty much everyone is um, probably listening to this. Uh, but, you know, that is kind of part of, that's part of the game, I guess. And you kind of, I, I felt more prepared this time, even having spoken to you guys about it on the podcast, saying when it happens 50%, 80%, which is basically Bitcoin, Ethereum have dropped 50%. I think they could go all the way down to 80% based on previous uh, drops. Um but basically, I still haven't sold anything, right? And I'm I'm literally moved my stuff to cold storage again recently because I was like, I'm locking it away. I'm not gonna, uh, I'm gonna lock this away for a, another few that, years man. the way that I, I said I would. That. Yeah, but let's see how it goes. If I really need it, I mean, it's it's a different story. Um, but anyway, uh, there is actually uh, we won't talk about this week. Maybe I'll do it next week. There was a great thread from Punk Six Five Two Nine on basically the psychology in a bear market. And I thought it was really uh, poignant. There was a lot of really good tangible things in there that even helped me. And uh, one of the things I remember was basically that big number that you've had in your head. The, yeah. Your, your all-time high net worth, savings, whatever that number is to you. Just let go of that, man. That is, <laughs> I know it That's sounds obvious. That's a Kobe obvious. line. That's a Kobe that, oh, line. He's it? like, you can't yeah. have your, whatever your max net worth was, you can't pin it yeah. to that right and also and again this sounds really obvious and kind of sad to say but like your worth is more than your net worth obviously right but of course when you've got kids and you've got f plans for a future and that is part of that um yeah that's difficult to take so it's been a really really difficult week for a lot of people and uh, i will say I'll, I'll in fact i'll even link to that in the show notes because i think it yeah. was worth people reading and maybe next week i'll go through some of my favorite points in it um, but yeah, I mean, to, to cap off what you said, Trung, on the sailor stuff, I 100% agree in a way on the stablecoin side, like that word shouldn't really be used. I think generally some regulation is going to happen 100% slash needed, right? Like the, the good project should pass a certain threshold. At the same time, we know that kind of stunts the growth of of like an innovative industry so yeah that's kind of the trade-off but you'd also want to make sure that some people have protections when they've got 
couple hundred grand sitting in a anchor protocol or ten thousand, whatever it is, um, because that there, there just needs to be more kind of protections for those people. Um, but yeah, uh, we can move on to the next part. I did, it, unless you guys had anything else on Sailor, I did want to bring up SBF, who had well, another actually, take on this. Actually, I, I thought it'd be a great. Uh, you're talking about the sell-off. Uh, I could just do the Andreessen Horowitz uh, chart really. Oh quickly. yeah, let's do it. So Andreessen, uh, Bilal, you're mentioning the different sell-offs we've been through, and obviously we had a big drawdown in, in crypto. Now, I think uh, two trillion of uh, wealth has been went. Maybe a trillion. I can't remember what the number was, but. Uh, Andreessen Horowitz, the venture capital firm, had their first state of crypto uh, report come out uh, today, uh, which is a, a Tuesday, May 17th. But uh, the, the part I wanted to talk about was they talked about the crypto price innovation cycle. So we've talked about this briefly many, many episodes ago, but they framed it beautifully. They're like, there have been three big cycles prior to this uh, for crypto. So 2009 to 2012, that peak at uh, in the year 2011 so that's over here really early right i think what's the peak price of bitcoin here still under 5,000. but like you know how bitcoin had that first run nobody really knew about it then i think it still wasn't even a few hundred back then <laughs> yeah probably a few hundred like this yeah. line's not even up yet right look at it <laughs> so that's the peak of the first cycle and uh the first thing to come out of that 2009 2012 period was obviously bitcoin and uh, that's when the 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 real kind of uh technologists got interested so Andreessen said that uh, the exchanges, miners, and wallets were founded in that period. And then they talk about the next period, which is from 2012 to 2016. And this peaked at 2013. I think, Blau, you're correct. I think this one might have started touching the four-figure uh, part, but maybe even high hundreds, right? Maybe low thousands, high hundreds. And then they said this is 10x the interest now. Still not mainstream, but... Ethereum, for example, was born under this period. And do you so, know, Trunk, when they say interest, do you know how they're measuring that? Did they yeah, mention so that? They, so let me go back to that. That's a great question. I should have talked about that first. So uh, they, they, they charted kind of the cycles of Bitcoin into four buckets. And the buckets were social media activity. So they looked primarily at Reddit and Twitter uh, mentions. And then the next, uh, the next category was startup activity. That's how much funding there was. Uh, the third category was developer activity, which is around uh, GitHub, Git commits, and a type of engineering. Oh, that's activity. great. That's a great yeah, three. Cool, yeah, yeah, it's really, really smart, cool, actually. Right? Yeah, and if so, you're listening to yeah. this, I'll just say click on the um, the YouTube link in the show notes, and you can fast forward to the timestamp where we talk about this because the visual is actually very helpful it's very interesting. to understand this. So, uh, Blau, thank you for asking. That was a very good uh, to clarify there. And then the, the third cycle, which this is, to their point, this is when it finally reached the mainstream. And it no longer was a fringe technology, but it received, you know, a lot of startup funding. Like people were really interested in this category as a startup sector. Uh, that, that phase between 2016, 2019, obviously 2017 was the peak, that crazy, crazy Christmas period. And then out of that era, you had OpenSea, you had Dapper Labs, you had Axie Infinity. And then they're basically saying like these all like these crashes happen. What and they had a very cool photo here, um, but yeah, I'll just walk through it. It's it's four points, but they said the price goes up, interest comes in, brings new ideas. The price crashes, but then all those new ideas that the shakeout you have from the interest, a couple of them will stick around, right? So 
we're clearly kind of on the downslope right now of the uh, of the crypto. I guess now it's the fourth phase. Hopefully, it won't last that long, but cool stuff will be made. And I think that's interesting and a good addendum to what you're talking about, Bilal. I was like, we're yeah. going through it again. Yeah, and uh, the other thing, I'm, that was great, by the way. Thanks for sharing those um, that visual. Um, I heard, I think Pomp was talking about this, obviously, as it relates to Bitcoin, because he mostly talked about Bitcoin. But um, I think Bitcoin has had a 50% drop. In t- this is in terms of price, obviously. We're not talking about wallets, uh, all the other men- things that you mentioned there, but just the actual price drop has dropped four times before 50%. In fact, I think March 2020, uh, was didn't it drop like 50% in one day or something? It was a crazy drop. Yeah, it's huge. 30 or 40%, I think. In one day. And overall, from this all-time high, dropped 50% four times before. This has happened again recently, uh, and it has gone all the way down to 80%. Um, so you can do the maths from, was it that the high was 69K for Bitcoin? Uh, fittingly, and um, (laughs) almost 5k for ETH. So you could do the 80% drop to that. I guess it takes it to 1k ETH and uh, I can't remember, 17k or maybe 12 or something like that. Yeah, so no, no, but I mean, that's good to see again. That doesn't mean uh, this will happen again, but good kind of number to have in mind. The one difference we're seeing now though is this is the first time Bitcoin, Ethereum, any crypto has gone through a basically a recession too, because since Bitcoin's been around, it's been you know money go up, up only right, and we've had money printer go up as well, and so this is going to be a very interesting challenge to see does it behave in the way that it did previously? Are we going to have a few year bear cycle and then we hit the bull run again? Again, just my opinion. If there was never another bull run again, I would be incredibly shocked because that's just the, the fact that each time we talked about in that bear market episode, but each time more people get involved, they understand what's happening. The meme strengthens, stronger, you know, stronger and and that is, you know, so it doesn't mean tomorrow that's going, it's going to be a bull run again, but... If there's never a bull run again, that means crypto didn't work, right? Yeah, and that, I'd be shocked. And that, that'll be a huge shock Not for everyone. Advice. Yeah, Not exactly. And for everyone listening to this, I'm sure you probably think the same. Um, I, I did want to also bring up one other point. We, we shared SBF, uh, Sam Bankman fried founder of FTX, had a great thread about Terra uh, straight after this all happened. This was on May the 15th. And uh, we don't uh, we don't have to read through every single tweet because it's a whole thread. But there were a couple that stood out. Uh, tweet number ten. He said most bad investments aren't Ponzi schemes. Some are fraud. Some are bad luck. And some are somewhere in between. And it, he was this was in context comparing Terra to Theranos. Uh, he said here are a set of investments that would have lost you more than fifty percent since the start of the year: Netflix, Luna, AMC, and Arc. Arc K. Right, so obviously four very different things. Netflix, we will use. Luna is this now shitcoin. AMC, meme stock, ARK, uh, you know, Cathy Woods, ETF growth got hit with the, on the growth side. So that, I mean, I, I do think that was quite an interesting frame. Again, not defending anything that happened with Terra because I think there's people who are kind of digging into that and, and are finding something that seemed to be a little dodgy. Uh, but there was one other thing he mentioned here, which was Luna was a case of mass enthusiasm, excitement, and frankly, marketing and memes, driving people to believe in something which was going to be was was going to falter according to publicly available information that marketing was probably bad, but it wasn't the same type of bad as Theranos. 
And so, I, again, that reading that on the first day, I thought that was actually quite a good frame for it. Though since then, like I said, people are digging in, seeing. Again, I know this is all alleged right now, but the way that they were selling Bitcoin, because uh, I think that was it, ten thousand Bitcoin they had, and they sold a crazy amount of this. There are people digging into that and seeing, saying, was this done in an ethical way? Were they basically selling it to whales? Uh, was it coordinated, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So I don't know anything about that. So uh, no one come for me. But I do think that was an interesting frame around when things, basically everything's being called a Ponzi and people calling Luna a Ponzi. I think the Ponzi-nomics of it were definitely evident. But does that make that a full-on, you know, Ponzi scheme, right? Where it's just a straight pyramid scheme. Again, I don't know the definition of what that actually means. Um, I'd have to dig into that a bit more. But yeah, was there anything else? I, I think we, we, us three talked about the SBF thread. Was there anything else to mention from, from him in the, before we move on? The last thing I'll add is uh, this morning, he did say that uh, uh, there's a tweet from uh, one of the US senators basically saying, you know, stable coins need regulation. It's like, if you're claiming to be a stablecoin, show us the books. What is backing the stablecoin, right? Because this was about Tether, though, right? Uh, the, the, I, don't, I don't know specifically oh. about Tether, but they're... No, no. Well, I mean, if you're asking what's backing, right? It is, it's like, what is in the... Uh, I don't want to say it out loud because I don't know if that's exactly what it's referring to, but uh, it makes sense that that would be something they are referencing, right? Uh, but uh, he's like, yeah, it just needs regulation. I, I think it's more overarching, too. It's like, if, if, if algorithmic stablecoins are regulated well they have no backing so let's stop calling them stable coins and uh yeah i agree i think Bilal, you're you're correct on uh what kind of asset uh and token they're talking about. yeah and and again oh. this is literally in a sorry sorry jack just one thing on that uh in an investing whatsapp group i'm in someone shared a message earlier and said hi guys a judge blocked a request by teva to hide its reserves that backed the coin wouldn't be surprised uh, the rest is speculation so I don't want to read that out but uh, that was where I'd heard it I don't know if that's actually true but he's normally pretty on top of things and sorry Jack you were going to say something there yeah I think the like his framing of it of like is it fraud is it you know is it just like there's a very Man, I think it's a, I think it's a big short line. Show me the difference between uh, illegal and idiotic, and I can't remember the exact context of it. But it's, when you make the comparison to Netflix, though, it's like Netflix puts out a product, right? It's like even if Netflix stock drops X amount, like they still, even if the content you don't want to watch it, it shows up on your TV every day, yeah. like your only job as a stablecoin is to be worth X, and if you fail in that job, then your product is it failed right like that is not what you said you were selling and i think in the same way like uh the blood test that you're supposed to be able to take one prick of blood and analyze every disease on the planet you didn't build that nor did you have any ability to build that but you maintain the illusion that that was going to be the thing you were going to build it's not that different i'll be quite frank and i think the Rewind to the Bolaji portfolio, Bitcoin and Ethereum, they do stuff. People use them for stuff, right? Like I want to store wealth. I use Bitcoin. I want to like own a piece of this network or I want to execute a function on a smart contract on a trustless network. I use Ethereum. Like these two things I think have proven that they, they sell a product, 
right? They both sell something and they have been for up close to a decade. And I think the burden of proof is on whoever is putting shit out into the world to like articulate what their thing does. And as soon as it doesn't do the thing it said it did, like you're either, you either intentionally misled people and it never was going to, or you just didn't think through it correctly. Right. But to attract that amount of capital and to wreck that many people in the process, you know, it's like the, all of the digital properties of Terra were like so slick and beautiful that you, it kind of fools you into thinking like, wow, this is legit. You know, like this looks like, it's not like some of those DeFi, you know, those farms that Bilal, you've probably been on like a banana swap or whatever. <laughs> you're on there. You're like, banana swap. <laughs> I know I'm losing my money on this. Right. Absolutely I know not. this is yeah, like yeah. a bunch of banana a bunch coin. Of like, yeah. Yeah. It's just like the arcade, right? You're at the casino on your computer, you know that, but you load up terror and then that thing is like slick as anything and looks very legit and polished. And, uh, he's like Sam Bankman freely said, it's like a huge amount of memes and marketing, but at the end of the day, it was like just a flawed, uh, the idea was flawed, right? It didn't work in practice. Um, so yeah, I don't know how it's going to go through the court system, but I'm sure people are going to be like, you, you made a claim, you use the word stable coin, which you would imagine puts the onus on you to deliver on the, the promise of value that you made. So I don't know whether they had, I think in that sailor interview with Raul as well, it was like, most of these people never even work with a lawyer. They don't like, they don't have, yeah. they don't have general counsel or they haven't operated at this scale. Like if you're going to take that much capital on and not have like any legal framework or guidance, so I'm not saying they didn't have any, I'm just saying like you clearly have to, and there's a delicate balance here, right? There's people that have, there's people that use like, work within legal frameworks or uh, do things without consulting legal frameworks and amazing things get built that way. But at the same time, like it depends on what you're building and why you would choose to step around a legal framework, right? I think if you're trying to rebuild the structure of money, like a like a, a Satoshi creation in 2009, it's like you don't need to hire a lawyer to do that because it's like the first of its kind experiment. But if you're bringing a competitor into an ecosystem that already has like 10 or 12 viable options, it's like you would think that um, you would approach that a little bit differently. I don't know. It's it, Fortunately, like I, I just played around with it a little bit. I didn't have, I, I lost money, but like from an experiment of just like playing with the interface versus putting a bunch of money in there. And I think we talked about last week, people were buying houses off like yeah. the assumption they're getting 20% APY. And it's just, I mean, obviously we talked about this. It's like, it's just not realistic. Like, where is it? Where is it coming from? I don't think... Uh, it's very obvious to see where the money comes from in Bitcoin and Ethereum, I think, versus uh, versus like a 20% yield for doing nothing. Yeah. Well, Jack, I was just going to add, I think that was a really great point. I think the what you alluded to there was around the idea, like in startup world, you hear this a lot, um, ask for forgiveness, not permission, right? So one of the Uber guys, 
uh, one of the early employees goes and creates Bird Scooter. And instead of going right. and figuring out, which for people who don't know, is like the the scooters around Venice Beach and different cities where you jump on it and they're kind of annoying. But um, And they that was a pretty cool example where they were like, if we need to go to a local council and get permission and find Never a, a space, done. it's going to take 17 years. So instead, they ordered that ship from China or wherever it was. They, brought, they dropped 20 of them, made an app, and then got people to scan a QR code. And that went off and again you can argue if that was good or bad or whatever but that is the sort of stuff that airbnb uber and others that are now have created uh something not just a, an idea and followed through they kind of had to do that i think the there is a line though right and when it comes to money um i think especially like we've said a hundred times on this podcast when using the word stable coin there's just the burden is you know the the threshold is just a lot further uh, you need to there needs to be a, a higher threshold for that sort of stuff um so i think that's an interesting thing and then the last thing i was going to say the quote you mentioned there which i just looked up because it's a killer quote, quote from the big short he said tell me the difference between stupid and illegal and i'll have my wife's brother arrested <laughs> amazing yes, so good, <laughs> it's such a good line uh Ryan gonna... gosling is so good in that oh, movie. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah he's yeah. the best but, I mean, the Man, whole, I love the that whole character so much. Movie when he pulls so it, he's at the gym. Oh, oh. We, yeah. we'll, we'll move Incredible. it up, man. Well, actually, since we're talking about there's been a huge debate online about the big short versus margin call. Have either of you watched Margin Call yet? The movie? It's on Netflix. I've, I've like watched it in the background before. Uh, I've seen it. I think it's a big short. It is, it is, it's good, though. It is very good. All right, like I'm going to have to watch Irons, it. Jeremy Irons is like, because Jeremy Irons is kind of the villain in there, and he's just like, he just goes that we're gonna dump the steaming hot pile of shit onto well, the market. Yeah. We're and selling no. a product people want at a price they're willing to pay for it or something yeah. like that. Was you, the, oh, yeah. this is fraud. It's like, no, you're selling people a product at a price they're willing to pay. Uh, it's like we'll never it's like we'll never do business again in this town. It's like it doesn't matter. It's like <laughs> it's like uh, right, I need but, to watch uh, it, amazing. man. We'll yeah, do, do a reaction. It. It's great. All right, cool. Boy, should we wrap up Terra now? Because I know we've got a couple of things to talk through. Anything else before we talk about that? I hope you guys enjoyed that because uh, I think that was a good recap of all the things we missed from last week. Wait, I have an idea. You know what we should do? We should just do a full episode about Margin Call. We should all watch it, just have notes and just, just like literally or walk. We live stream it and yeah. watch it live. <laughs> I think Everybody we watch it, it and hit it with the yeah. categories. Have people ask us questions be like, who is like the most insane character? Like what's the funniest scene? Yeah, like yeah, when the cool. ringer does it? That'd be fun, I'm man. I'm yeah. up for that. We should do it. Well, we all already right. know the best quote. Uh, that is the right, best. Man. Well, there's a few good ones in that film, man. All right, Jack, that was a good chat on um, the Terra stuff. You want to tell us about an NFT project. We Are we in NFT winter yet? Or what's the vibe? Because I know we're kind of in a, a bear market uh, in the, the crypto world. Liquid, what's I, going think on? A, I think it was the lowest volume of uh, transactions on OpenSea last week, one day last Whoa. week. So we're definitely, okay. we're definitely getting quiet out here. Got but it. Hey, but we're still bringing you innovative projects from within the NFT ecosystem. The edge so of the internet about, vibe. Yeah, we're going to talk about little nouns or lil nouns. So let's uh, fire this I, up. I was saying that sounds like a rapper, man. Lil nouns. Yeah. So these guys... You guys, we've we've gone through the nouns site before, right? So if you look at nouns, they've they've essentially cloned the nouns project. So as we know, nouns is CCO, open source. Anybody can take uh, any element of this project and use it uh, in whatever way they want to use it. 
So nouns to recap wait, wait. the concept. Yeah, go ahead. Go on to recap the concepts of noun. They auction an NFT every day, and they add the proceeds of the NFTs to a treasury. And then the people who own the NFTs vote. You know, there's a governance structure that votes on how to disperse that treasury model. Okay, so the founders of the project actually get paid in nouns, so they don't take any capital. They get paid in NFTs. Every tenth NFT gets a, gets sent to a. Um, a, a treasury that they share and uh, the, so it just aligns incentives in a different way than a lot of other NFT projects. Right. So you have these group of people that aren't looking for like a quick flip, high liquidity project. They get invested, they get in the community, they build stuff, they fund projects. The idea is to grow the nouns brand over a huge period of time. Right. And if you think about competing with uh, like a, a, a crypto punks or a board apes project, they're only releasing one a day. So it will take them 10 years to get to the supply of, a, of 10,000. So it's very, very interesting. And that you see really interesting dynamics happen in the auction because of that, because you only really need a couple of buyers that are enthusiastic on a daily basis. Right. And you can maintain some pretty Wait, impressive is that sale 80, prices. 80 ETH bit. So it's 160 bit. 160k, yes. So oh that's Whoa. that's the original nouns, right? Because those are this really is the original expensive. nouns, yeah. So okay, uh, they go, yeah, they go at the moment. They're 80, 90. Some there's one moment for 160 the other day. And and sorry, so Jack, still... just for for long time listeners, there's some connection between the nouns and uh, the cryptos, right? Yeah. So if you listen to one the of artist. our episodes. Last year, yeah, one of the contributing artists, his name's Gremplin. So he's a, um, a super talented dude who's like like this aesthetic. Uh, some of the elements of the nouns aesthetic bleeds over into cryptos. They're both CCO projects. Like the there's glasses. Actually someone else, yeah, there's actually someone else to talk about on that. I'll try and squeeze in as well. But um, so this project, again, CCO, anybody can use it, fork it, take the artwork make t-shirts, make a brand, do a movie, whatever you want, right? And the, the function of the treasury is to spread the nouns meme. So that capital is people submit proposals and then the everybody who holds an NFT can vote on sending that money in whatever direction they want to send it. So Lil Nouns is a permissionless fork of the nouns project. And what they've done, you can probably tell here, is like they've taken the same aesthetic, but the idea is they're like kid versions of these NFTs. So they just kind of exaggerated some of the features. So if you look at the difference between these, it's got like a, these big glasses, little body. And what I think they've done that's really interesting is they, one, they alloc, they send one of these NFTs to the nouns treasury every 10th auction gets sent to the nouns treasury, which is cool because that, you know, they're aligning incentives with the original and the auctions are 15 minutes long. So taking that like timed auction mechanic and obviously compress the time of it. And then there's another little nuance in here where the auctions get kicked off manually. So once this auction finishes, someone has to settle the auction. So either whoever bought the, the previous like settles the auction and, and puts the NFT in their wallet or somebody wants to bid on it comes and settles the auction and it kicks off another 15 minutes. So someone I wrote on Twitter, I haven't done the math on this, but it seems about accurate is that because this is unlocking a lower price point, 
they're accruing capital at the same pace as nouns, but it's obviously a very different buyer, right? Oh, they're like doing every, 100 a day. They're doing 100 a day, right? Yeah. Well, at this point, yeah, it's only been around for two weeks, but it just started kicking up like yesterday or, or, or the today. So they've been going for, you know, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3. And now you're seeing most of them go for over one Ethereum. And the, they have plans to acquire a noun as a DAO. So if you, you know, they'll use their treasury proceeds, or this is, you know, the, the discussion that's happening, they'll use some of their treasury proceeds to buy a noun. And then ownership of these, ownership of any one of these would give you obviously exposure upward into that treasury that holds the, the noun. So just an interesting, um, Wait, interesting Jack, go thought. Back, go back to the other one. I love that the top bidder for little noun three nine six is these nuts. nuts. <laughs> I saw that as well. It's hilarious. So for the listeners, the top bid for this goofy looking noun NFT with uh, yellow sunglasses is these nuts. Good. Good luck yeah. to these nuts. Hold on. Let's keep it on the screen. I want to see if these nuts wins this auction. It's, it's going to end in fourteen <laughs> Just gonna seconds. Keep it thirteen seconds. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Countdown. So sorry, guys. And while you're pulling that up, I also would since I always uh, share my screen as well. I can see that Jack was trying to spell necessary because I can still not spell that word <laughs> either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. These nuts is a winner. Congratulations to DeezNuts.eth. Yeah, if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening, DeezNuts. <laughs> Sorry, I did not mean to call out your uh, tabs. No, I good. do that all the time. That's um, good. I was just wondering what else I had up there, but it was all, uh, it's all good. Um, there could have been a lot worse, Jack. Could have, could have been worse. <laughs> but you know what I think is interesting about this is um, 4156, who we've talked about a bunch on the podcast, who is like the architect of the nouns mechanics that on the auction side. Always remember him saying the 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 auction is a more interesting thing than the art. You know, the auction mechanics is more interesting than um, the art piece as a like catalyst for growing a project because you bring someone on. In the case of nouns, you bring someone on every day, right? So someone comes in the community, every everybody's watching that one auction, and the person joins the Discord and it's like, hey, we saw you got that thing. You like make connections with everybody. You onboard one person at a time, and I think the flywheel effect has a much uh, stronger likelihood of success in an environment like that, right? Other, in contrast to his ten thousand of these things, we're going to sell them in fifteen minutes, and then hopefully everyone's just going to migrate from wherever they were before and start caring about our stuff. So I think. Uh, I've said many times on this podcast, I'm an admirer of the uh, the nouns ecosystem and the people and the thinking that's gone into building it. I just think this is a an interesting derivative project. And I think this auction mechanic in particular is gonna be uh, is gonna be interesting to see what people start doing with this and uh, just see what happens with the treasury of this size and how they deploy capital versus, you know, nouns that have 60 million or whatever in their treasury. The treasury has actually gone up for little nouns by two ETH since we started this call. Yeah. These nuts just, just these, these nuts <laughs> dropped it in there. Yeah. Gave it a little dip. <laughs> nice one, Jack. Thanks for sharing that, mate. Yeah. 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 Uh, That's I know great. You're yeah. Involved, you. Are you, are you in the nouns Dow? No. Was that? Yeah, I am. Yeah. And let me uh, let me do a little shameless plug as well. I got a um, Yo, I'm doing a uh, bag pump of the week part two. Yeah, this is I'm a new a, segment. I'm, I'm forking my 
CCO and noun stuff into an account of its own. So noun one four one. I'm I'm just posting that out separately Amazing. if anyone wants to listen Amazing. to that. I love it. All That's right. sick. Love it, mate. Thanks for sharing that. We're all edge of the internet. Well, I will say this is definitely not investment advice, but you know what they say about making fortunes in downtime. So, I mean, this is often the time where things are on sale if you believe in them long term, like the S&P 500 or a noun, depending on what your flavor of the week is. So check it out if you're interested. I would definitely check that out as well. Uh, Trunk, let's wrap it up, mate. We got another 10 minutes to blast through this last segment. We got Fun Fact Fan. McDonald's yeah, to leave Russia for good after 30 years, but yep. you've got a wider lens to talk about McDonald's. So yeah, we don't, over I to mean, you, mate. Obviously still such a terrible conflict going on with Russia's division in Ukraine. This is uh, kind of one of the last corporate America shoes to drop. So McDonald's famously arrived in uh, Moscow January 31st, 1990. Uh, a lot of people have probably seen this image, but you know the first day the lineup was huge around the corner. His photos from NPR. Crazy, man. I think about waiting that long for some Mackets. So that was 32 years ago, people. 32 years ago. Well, actually. Funny, Did you call funny, it Mackers? Is that what yeah, you just called it? That's how, like that's the how the Aussies call it. Yeah, well, yeah, funny, funny enough, actually, uh, the Wendy's Twitter account actually responded to your boy uh, uh, earlier this week. Um, that was pretty funny. I don't know if you guys saw that, but. Uh, no, what they the, say. So somebody posted a fake job posting uh, for uh, a Wendy's job. I think it was in Illinois. And the first requirement was, you know, if you've recently been involved in the Terra UST project and you're looking for a job, <laughs> we have an opening for manager or something. And it looked real. Uh, so I just straight up asked, I'm like, Wendy's, is this real? They're like, no, it's not. But we could use people with crypto experience. And they just winked. <laughs> But, uh, Man, there's been some brands really owning it. I will say in the last week, Ryanair, Ryanair oh were killing the game. Is that are all of those real? There's yeah, the so Ryanair, many the good Ryanair ones. ones are real. They're uh, they don't give an f. Um, but uh, we'll go through the McDonald's NPR just super quickly. Obviously, uh, this was kind of already happening. They kind of ceased operations, let their local partners in Russia continue running the restaurants. Uh, the restaurant makes like a bill a year. Um, the restaurants in Russia make a bill a year. So not super much, two to 3% of their entire business. Uh, they have uh, tens of thousands of employees in Russia, 62,000. They plan to keep paying them until they can sell to a local partner. And uh, there's a term that they're using. They said that they're de-arching the McDonald's in Russia right now. So they're removing the arches. So that's what's happening. 32 years they've been in Moscow. Um it was a really iconic moment when McDonald's went to Moscow because uh, this will segue into the next segment where we're going to talk about McDonald's as a real estate company because we've teased talking about it before, but we can run through it today. But when they when they signed the lease in downtown Moscow, they the agreement they got with the city and they uh, was forty nine year lease, a one ruble rent a year. <laughs> so. That was their agreement to bring McDonald's into the country. They were like, hey, we'll do it, but here's how we're going to do it. Wait, did you say, what, what year was this, sorry? The one ruble a year rent is ceremonial, right? The 1990 agreement that McDonald's had with Moscow. So today, this is what McDonald's has. They have $42 billion worth of real estate, and then 35% of their $20 billion in revenue. So a third of their $20 billion in revenue 
is rental income. <laughs> How crazy is that? Like we, we joke around here. It's like, oh, Starbucks is a bank. And like, you know, Harvard is really a hedge fund that's uh, as a school uh, that has a school attached. Like the McDonald's real estate meme is just so funny. It's just absolutely hysterical. But uh, so I'll, I'll walk through the numbers because it's fascinating and a little re- or super brief history. 39,000 McDonald's uh, around 100 countries in the world. Here's the kicker. They own... <laughs> Jack just uh, messaged said in chi- chips to bricks. Literally <laughs> chips to bricks. That's not uh, good. <laughs> well, actually, what's funny about the chips to bricks is uh, McDonald's had this whole real estate thing from the very, very beginning. Like They had it from the 50s. I mean, I'll kick it back to you guys. Let's make this a little bit more conversational. What do you guys know about McDonald's as a real estate company? Like, What is your understanding of it right now? Well, what's Founder? The net, the, yeah. That's a great film, man. That's yeah, what, yeah, yes. yeah. And Good I read, um, I can't remember what it's called, Golden Arches or something. But, okay, uh, so what is, what, well, top of dude. mind. Yeah, totally top of mind, right? Uh, 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 Ray Kroc, uh, yep. the, uh, the, the milkshake salesman who teamed up with the McDonald's brothers and ended up scooping it from them, right? You're right, totally. I mean, that's the other part of it. There's a human side, ruthless, absolutely ruthless. So uh, back to their ownership today. They own 55% of the land under these 39,000 stores. That's, it's absolutely insane. It's just yeah, insane. Crazy. And they own 80% of the buildings. So the, the real estate model actually wasn't Ray Kroc. It was from uh, Harry Sonnenborn. You guys, you will remember him. You know who he was in the movie? Uh, BJ yeah, Novak. It wasn't yeah, it was yeah, yeah. From BJ Novak from The Office. So um, uh, Harry Sonnenborn came up with the real estate model. So, I mean, I think Jack will appreciate this because... Uh, he appreciates it. He, he appreciates a franchise, right? So this is why they pivoted into real estate. Uh, it was from the movie, but I, I found this point super interesting. So most franchisee models is you, you pay uh, the franchisor. So McDonald's, you pay them an initiation fee. In the case of McDonald's, I think it's like 50 to hundred grand. And then they start kicking up the royalty payments, right? You got to kick back two to 3% of sales a year to them. And then, they sell you supplies. So they'll sell you potatoes and you bet your ass are marking those potatoes. This up. sounds like the stepping app all over again, bro. What's going on? <laughs> so I pay for the app, then I do yeah. the work and then I have to pay for more stuff. That's hey, basically what I realized. To, yeah. <laughs> no, welcome but, to the layer but, cake, son. No, but, but Bilal, you nailed it though. So if you're the franchisee, you're the company building up these out and you got the rights. You're like, wait a second. You guys are going to keep squeezing this juice out of me? So this is in the mid fifties. This is where Harry Sonnenberg, Ray Kroc's partner. This is where he switched them all to real estate. This is why, because all these franchisees were like, "Balau, they're like, guys, slow down here. I don't want to deal with these royalty payments." Oh, but they Harry were Sonnenberg, degenerates. Is that what yeah, it was? You, no. <laughs> so Sonnenberg goes, "Okay, if you're not gonna pay with the royalty payments, or you don't want to pay them, I want to do a little twist. I'm gonna own that real estate. You're gonna be my tenant. I'm the landlord." But as part of the tenancy agreement, you have to do what I say as a McDonald's franchisee. Or I'm going to kick you out of the location. So it's, it's actually genius from a business perspective. It's really messed up, though, for the franchisees, right? Because think about that. Blau's complaint now has gone out the window. Oh, you yeah, don't like 100%. the royalty payment? Cool. You don't have to be here anymore. Yeah, you're no longer so, the tenant. So, Trunk, you might say this right in the beginning, but just remind me, what percentage of their money is made through the real estate part then? So, the rental income, rental which income, we're talking yeah. about now, is 35% of the revenue. That's mad. It's six 
billion plus of their 20 billion. I think that's from either 2020, 2021, but ballpark. So they create the McDonald's franchisees real estate corp and they just start squeezing fools. They buy real estate. What do you think their gross margin is, Trump? On that, I, well, I have the uh, I have the numbers here. I'll pull it for you. Um, so well, this is the fan line coming out. Yeah, exactly there right. <laughs> uh, well, before I answer Jack's question, I'll tell you what Sonnenberg told his Wall Street buddies. He goes, "We're not in the food business. We're in the real estate business. The only reason we sell fifteen cent hamburgers is because they are the greatest producer of revenue from which our tenants can pay us rent." <laughs> Bro, yeah, man. dude, that is like. 15, first of all, 15 cent burgers, inflation, son, like kick rocks. All right. So, uh, well, I'll show some visuals here, actually. Uh, actually, we don't have to show the visuals, but uh, the numbers that you asked for, Jack. So the man, the only the, 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 the franchise revenue is 11 billion. Only 4 billion comes from the franchisees for you. The other six, seven we talked about is for the, 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 the rents. Dude, if you're asking margins on that, what, what do you think the margin of that is? It's the front office, right? It's the front office. Like, it is just automatic at this Dude, point. Are there any yeah. other buckets of money there? Sorry, rent, franchise fees, and is there anything else? Yep, I'll show you guys now. This answers Jack's question exactly. I'm actually so, curious, yeah. Yeah, here we go, people. Here's a CFA fan. Look at this table. Oh, this is a real one. This wasn't a joke because yeah, uh, sometimes a, you put is. fake numbers in there as a joke. No. <laughs> wait, wait, Bilal, can you read that out here? Can you talk about... Uh, okay, so they own so they own some restaurants. Uh, I'll, I'll talk it out, sorry. So I'll, I'll make okay. it very simple. So they also own restaurants. They own 15% of the entire restaurant uh, uh, selection that they have. The other 85-ish are franchisees. So the ones that they own, they actually make a lot of money on them. They're probably primo locations. But to Jack's point, they have operating expenses. So their operating margin on company-owned McDonald's is 14%. <laughs> and this here, is filth. Yeah. This is filth. And here right, comes wait for Jack, the punchline. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, and yeah. here comes Jack Butcher. And this is why on the Non-Investment Advice podcast, we always joke that Jack Butcher likes a franchise. <laughs> the, the McDonald's operating margin on its franchise-owned businesses. So this is the ones that they rent out the real estate but the franchisees run it it's it's 80 percent. it's 80 percent. so they don't have to be do... on that haven't they it's yeah it, that's google it that's like google search that below yeah. that is like google search yeah it uh, might even be better yeah if you took apple and all those other guys taking a cut um, so the, actually the number I'll, I'll finish off the number one uh below to your point uh what the split was it's a uh, seven percent are company owned so it's crazy. Half the revenue comes with company owned. These must be like the New York Times locations or like, uh, uh, sorry, New York uh, Times Square, like the big ones, right? But obviously, if you're the operating profit. it, yeah, it's costing a lot of money to operate. But franchise owned is 90%. I'll walk through a couple of things here. Uh, you guys will enjoy this, especially for, uh, we talked about fast food DAO that we're going to do, but turns out we can't do it. Is uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good so thing we is, didn't, mate. We'll be yeah, exactly. uh, in the shit right now. Do we? Shit. So Jesus. this is Domino's uh, DAO. Well, let me ask you guys. You guys will probably know a couple of these just from common sense. What do you think McDonald's is looking for when they're buying real estate? Like, what are the exact things that they're looking for? I, I remember this might be anecdotal from somewhere, but they want it like on intersections. So it's like you want traffic coming from as many directions yep. as possible. Uh, I, I don't know how true this is, but near like 
places where kids are going to make their parents pull over. So it's like on school routes and stuff where it'd be like kids in the back of the car, like let's go to McDonald's. Uh, maybe retail near other retail stuff. Like I a don't mall. Know. Yeah. 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 I, I actually didn't know what a kid want. I fully buy that. There, I think the Jack ones- passed the test. I would just say that yeah. was uh, impressive. <laughs> that was really good, man. I was going to say, yeah, uh, you know, late I love a franchise, night, boys. You, you love a McDonald's at 3 a.m. too, I'm sure. So, <laughs> but, so um, yeah, exactly, right? So I'll throw the last two points. Uh, last, uh, Jack's nailed it on the head there. So they are looking for corner or corner wraps with uh, signage on two major streets. Totally makes sense. This is the other kicker. They want, they want lights. They want traffic lights. So MF stop. Smart. Uh, they want a 23-foot build height, uh, potentially for the drive-through or two floors, 50,000 square foot. So are you uh, laughing at him saying MF stop as well? Is that what you <laughs> yeah, yeah. MF stop. I had to think for a second what that meant. And I was like, oh, the word I use 72 times yeah. a day. All right. Yeah. Um, so here's a let me let me give the last note then, then we can wrap it up. But uh something very smart about what McDonald's does. It's a bit of a, a financial engineering itself. So they buy these real estate properties. So they own $40 billion worth of real estate around the world. Uh, those financing for real estate is fixed, right? It's 4%. So they're paying 4% to finance these properties and then ultimately own it. Guess what? Inflation, they get to bump up and their franchisees get to bump up uh, prices. So their expenses are fixed, but their revenue, which is a percentage of the franchisees from the royalties, is indexed to inflation. So it's an extremely, extremely smart way to keep getting, you know, inflation pegged money while they keep they pay fixed rate. So it's actually genius. Absolutely genius. Boys, can I do a uh I'm just gonna do it. Go ask, ask for forgiveness, mock permission. Here we go. <laughs> So we're going to do a second meme of the week. This is, uh, for anyone not watching, this is the scene from uh, Wolf of Wall Street where Leo DiCaprio <laughs> is like proposing Stratton Oakmont and the caption is, a stable coin backed by a Costco hot dog and Pepsi. I was, trying to, get, uh, I was trying to get uh, a couple of people tag me in this this week because of the uh, obvious love that we've shown for Costco over the uh, episodes here. But <laughs> just listening to you talk about that, Trung, I was like, man, these guys, you know, the value has been established. So they just keep collecting rent. It's very, uh, what, what an insane, uh, what an insane business. And the I think fact in that they times keep like this, increasing inflation, right? Is nuts. They get to keep the franchisees, keep pushing the price. Like, as you said, it's like, it's fixed what they're paying. Yeah, it's nuts. Jack, you still got that Costco hat that you shared in the Telegram group? Oh, yeah, I got it downstairs. <laughs> I wear it next week. Yeah. My wonderful wife, Celia, procured that for me. Thank you, Celia. Thank you, Celia. Oh, yeah. eBay action. Um, all right, boys. I think we're hitting time. Thanks for that trunk. Great wrap up there on McDonald's. Let us know what you thought of that in the comments. Um, anything else on McDonald's before we wrap that, boys? That's, that's it, man. I no, that was great. Thanks, Trung, for dropping knowledge Yeah, that, on that. was great, man. Absolutely. And we're just, just at time as well. Perfect timing. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. And we've got a lot more coming. There's a couple of things we had on our docket to potentially talk about this week, which we'll talk about next week. So the 6529 bear market investor psychology stuff, I'll talk through a few of those things. And then there was a longer discussion on Vitalik's uh, thread on contradictions that, again, we can talk about any time. Uh, there were some really cool ideas in there that I think we can bring to next week instead of this week. 
because we hit time today. But anyway, thanks for your support. Thanks for making us number 32 or whatever it was on the investing charts. Um, And and if you are only listening on YouTube or Spotify, just open up your phone and open up the Apple Podcast app and press subscribe and hit a review if you can. You don't have to write much, but it always helps push us up and let's uh, make this meme a reality and make us put us number one investing uh, in the charts. That would be it. Would be the greatest for that. screenshot. Yeah, it's got. It's going to take. Okay, that will be NFT worthy, boys. That would be NFT. That would be. That might be worth the first ever NIA. NFT if, you, if we do it. If our <laughs> listeners, our incredible listeners, push the not investment advice to the number one spot in the investing category of the Apple podcast, it would, oh my, it'd be unbelievable. We're, just to put it in perspective, we were above Naval this week and we were one below, uh, what was it? Invest, Invest like, like the, the best, best, which is very, honestly very, one of the Probably the best investing podcast. Yeah, I think they're really good. And then in the business category, we were above Goldman Sachs. was a really happy moment for me. I pitched them once upon a time for my little business and uh, (laughs) didn't make it. And and you know what? They give investing advice, which is the opposite of what we do. do. Exactly. We do not do that. All vibes, no facts. Come for the alpha, stay for the vibes. That's a new one as well. Um, Anyway, thanks again for your support, everyone. And we will see you next week. Uh, Hit the the like button on YouTube as well. If you're still here, that would be very helpful. And uh, we will see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers.